from Romans chapter 1. I will read verses 7 through 13. Romans chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. Hear the word of God. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. But I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this sermon is a first because it is a second, by which I mean this. Last week, the Reverend Christy Bruce preached on the same passage that I'm going to preach on today. We've never done that before. So this is the first. Two preachers back to back looking at the same passage. And it's a fitting first because the title of this sermon is that we may be mutually encouraged. I have been encouraged by Christie's sermon, which I listened to online last week. And I hope that you will be encouraged by my sermon this morning. That we may be mutually encouraged is what Paul says in verse 12. He points out that not only does he want to come to Rome to bless the Roman church, but he wants to come to Rome to be blessed by the Roman church. Paul's an apostle. He is at the top of the ecclesiastical heap. He's more important than Billy Graham and Pope Francis and Joyce Myers all wrapped up together. But Paul says he longs to see the Romans. He's never met these people. But he longs to see them so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now it's easy to imagine the Roman church being encouraged by Paul's faith. It would be a really big deal if the Apostle Paul came to your church to preach. And when Paul showed up at your church, he stuck around for a number of months, so it was a revival. It's easy to imagine the Roman church being encouraged by Paul's faith, but can we imagine Paul being encouraged by the Roman church? Paul certainly is singing the praises of the Roman church. He tells them, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. This little Church had a reputation. Don't you want to be that kind of church? The kind of church that has a reputation? 
When someone asks you, where do you go to church? And you say, Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. Don't you want them to say, oh yeah, I've heard about your church. Now maybe you're thinking, well, they would say that if the Apostle Paul were our pastor. But we're stuck with you. The truth is, we don't know who the leaders of the Roman church were. It wasn't Paul, of course, he had never been there. It wasn't Peter or James, they were busy running the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't a famous preacher. It wasn't a powerful leader that made the church in Rome famous throughout the world. It was the members themselves. And the members of this church, the members of Huntington Valley Presbyterian church can make it their business to make this church a church that has a reputation. In this part of the world, 10th Presbyterian Church has a tremendous reputation. Pastors come and pastors go, and 10th has been served by many great pastors through the years, but that church decade after decade, generation after generation, continues to be a powerhouse for the gospel. They have great preaching because the members value and support and encourage great preaching. They have great leadership because the members of that church value and support and encourage great leadership. It's the members of 10th Presbyterian Church who give that church its reputation. Last Sunday, Ava and Mia and I went to Split Log Baptist Church in Split Log, Missouri, which is nothing more than a country crossroad. It doesn't even show up on the maps. I had heard about this church. It's a hundred-year-old church. Back when I lived in Missouri, it had a reputation, but one that reached my ears. But about a decade ago, or maybe a little bit more, it grew from being a family-sized church with about 40 people in worship on a Sunday morning to being a little dynamo with more than a couple hundred people in worship every Sunday. I asked my nephew, Aaron, who came to faith and was baptized in that church, what had caused this change, what had caused this church to grow so remarkably, and without missing a beat, he said to me, the people started sharing. Now, he didn't mean that they started sharing their material goods, though that does go on there. Just a few months ago, Aaron and some of the guys from the church built a house for a man who lost his home in a tornado. This man was so poor that when his house, which wasn't much of a house, was destroyed, he didn't have the money to rebuild it. He owned the ground on which the house sat, a little lot next to the railroad track, but he didn't have the money to rebuild his house. And so a group of men from this church built him a house and they gave it to him, free of charge, a whole house. Sharing material goods is part of the Christian lifestyle. As Christians, we are called to be charitable and open-handed. But when my nephew Aaron answered my question about why this little church had an ongoing revival by saying the people started sharing, he didn't mean sharing material goods. He meant sharing the gospel. He meant sharing their faith. He meant sharing personal stories about what Christ had done in their lives. When Paul says to the church in Rome, your faith is proclaimed in all the world, he means, we keep hearing about you. We keep hearing about you guys proclaiming the gospel. We keep hearing about you guys telling other people about what Jesus did for you. And I was so struck by what Aaron said, because as a pastor, 
I was expecting him to say something about a dynamic preacher that people were flocking to hear. I was expecting him to say something about a great organizational leader who put together a well-oiled program for the church. As pastors, we like to think that we are important. But what my nephew pointed to immediately was not the pastor, but the members. The people who started sharing, as Aaron said. Now let me push this just a little further. Aaron came to this church because some people whom he knew shared with him and invited him to church. And that was a while ago now, more than a decade ago. And his faith has grown rich and deep in this church. And then I sat out on Aaron's front porch one evening last week. It was unusually warm and an armadillo was digging up his front yard looking for grubs. We were out there in the warm evening air enjoying cigars with another young man just 19 years old. And doggone it, my nephew starts sharing with him. Not ramming the gospel down his throat. I don't mean that. But honestly and openly talking about the mistakes that he had made in his life. The mistakes of a young man, the mistakes of a young husband, the mistakes of a young father. Talking about how his faith in Jesus Christ had set him on the right track and given him peace and contentment at home. So there he is, my nephew, 39 years old, happily married with a close-knit family, prosperous in business, enjoying his life, sharing his faith with this single young man just on the threshold of his life. A young man thinking about marriage, thinking about career. And Aaron telling him the importance of making Jesus the center of everything. That is powerful. What made this church grow, I asked. This church in the middle of nowhere. People started sharing. The Apostle Paul says that he longs to see the saints in Rome so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Yes, it's easy to understand why they would be encouraged by the faith of the super apostle, but I hope you can also see why Paul would have been encouraged by the faith of the members of this little church. And it was a little church. They didn't have a church building. They were meeting in people's homes. But they were sharing their faith. And that sharing became known throughout the world. I think that we here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church should make it our business to make this church the kind of a church that a wannabe great pastor from a distant city, say someone like the Apostle Paul, that they would say to us, your faith is proclaimed throughout all the world. I think we should be the kind of church that has a reputation. A reputation for the gospel. A reputation for sharing what Jesus has done in our lives. And I want you to see that that reputation won't come from the person you have standing in your pulpit. That kind of reputation comes from the people sitting in the pews. The pastor who was at the church when Aaron arrived there... He moved on to another church about six years ago, and they called another pastor. And the church has continued to thrive and to grow, continued to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. 
So it wasn't the presence of this pastor or that pastor that caused an ongoing revival in that church. It was the attitudes in the hearts of the regular people who showed up on Sunday morning to hear the word of God proclaimed and who carried that word with them out of the church doors and into the world. I want to encourage you to own that responsibility. I want to encourage you to recognize your role in the health and the prosperity of this church. Huntington Valley is a pretty good church. We're a solid, Bible-believing church. But if you want this to be a great church, if you want to be this to be the kind of church that people talk about and say, I've heard about their faith. If you want this to be a church that has a reputation, if you want this to be the kind of church that people say, I long to see you, then believe me when I tell you that you hold that power in your hands. What made this church grow? The people began to share. The Apostle Paul wrote, I long to see you that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul, the pastor, Paul, the evangelist, was an encouragement to Christians all over the world. He continues to encourage us today. And the little church in Rome was an encouragement to Paul. Yes, pastors and evangelists need encouragement. Even Paul, who had met the resurrected Jesus face to face, even Paul, who seems to have a direct pipeline to Almighty God, even Paul longed for the encouragement of the church in Rome. And what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals for us here in Romans 1.12 is part of God's design for His church. Part of God's intention for how the church is supposed to work. Being mutually encouraged by each other's faith is part of the DNA of a healthy church. What does that mean? When you were born again, when under the preaching of the word of God you became convicted of your sin, when you became aware of your need for a savior, when you repented of your sin and made a break with your former life and made a conscious, well-informed decision to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when that happened, God grafted you into the universal church and the word of God instructed you to join yourself to a local congregation. Why? So we can be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Because a faith that is not encouraged fades away. A faith that is not encouraged shrivels up and dies. A faith that is not encouraged can become warped and misguided. A faith that is not encouraged won't be faith for very long. A few weeks ago I was at my seminary course in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I took the opportunity to visit... The Billy Graham Library, which is on the way to the Charlotte airport. And in that library, they have all of these artifacts from Billy Graham and films of his long career as an evangelist. Millions of people, some members of this very congregation, made their first profession of faith 
at a Billy Graham crusade. I can't think of a single person in the past hundred years who has had a greater harvest for the kingdom of God than Billy Graham. And yet this man never was interested in building a personal empire or bringing glory or wealth to himself. He didn't want people to come forward to make a profession of faith and then be attached to him or to his ministry. He always instructed them that now that they had made a decision for Christ to go home. And to find a Bible teaching church and to make that congregation their spiritual home. Why? So they can be encouraged in their faith by other Christians. Because faith that isn't encouraged fades away. Because faith that isn't encouraged shrivels up and dies. Because a faith that isn't encouraged can become warped and misguided. Because a faith that isn't encouraged won't be faith for very long. We find the command for mutual encouragement throughout the New Testament. Encourage one another daily. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 You can all prophesy one by one, that means preach or teach, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. 1 Corinthians 14.31 And perhaps most importantly, in Hebrew 10.24 and 25 we read, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. There's a reason that church happens every week. There's a reason that we meet in small group Bible studies throughout the week so that we can stir each other up to love and to good works so that we can encourage one another. I'm a member of two small group Bible studies here at HVPC. I lead the Revelation Bible study, which is currently... Studying the book of Daniel, and I'm a member of the Presbyterian Stokey Society, which is led by Seth Fluter. Both of these groups are hugely important to me. Because in those groups, I am encouraged by the faith of other members in this congregation. Every person who comes to this church should expect to be encouraged to be encouraged in their faith, to be encouraged in their lifelong walk with Christ. We should come to church, we should meet with our small groups and walk away strengthened for the struggles that we all face. And let's be clear, the struggles are real. Sometimes the struggle is with our old nature, what the Bible calls our flesh and blood, mastering ourselves can sometimes be our greatest struggle. But even beyond that struggle, there is a greater war going all around us. Paul writes in Ephesians six twelve, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood alone, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is talking about the spiritual warfare that surrounds all Christians. And let me tell you about this spiritual warfare. If you are not living a Christ-like life, Satan will leave you 
alone. If you're not making waves for the kingdom of God, if you're not sharing your faith, then Satan's got you right where he wants you. Nothing pleases the great deceiver more than to have complacent Christians. In the screw tape letters, how many of you read the screw tape letters? The rest of you should. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis's devilishly funny story about a senior demon giving instructions to an underling demon about how to defeat the kingdom of God. The demon, Screwtape writes, quote, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. Because in moderated religion... In religion that takes no risk, in religion that settles for form without substance, the individual imagines himself to be in a state of grace. He imagines himself to be on the right side of God, even though his faith has no substance and no effect on how he lives and will not save him. So Satan is content to leave him alone. But the Christian who steps out in faith, who actually tries to live the way the Bible teaches, who shares his faith with other people, well, that individual will face opposition, spiritual opposition. And it can be a sign that we are moving in the right direction. It can be a sign that a congregation is moving in the right direction when there begins to be some spiritual resistance, when some spiritual waves and spiritual storms form around us. Because if we are standing still, Satan considers us harmless and leaves us alone. But as soon as we begin to push forward boldly in the direction that God is leading us, there will be spiritual headwinds. And when we face those headwinds, we need encouragement. We need to be encouraged in our faith by other sisters and brothers in Christ. I long to see you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul longed to see the Roman church, and the day did come when he finally made it to Rome, but he only went there to die. That sounds tragic. It actually wasn't, because Paul knew what he was doing, because Paul knew Christ, Before Paul met Jesus, he was a righteous man. He was a fervent scholar of the scriptures. But he was a man living in and relying on his own righteousness. And then he met Jesus. And what he learned in that encounter with Jesus, that his human righteousness was not enough. You can be the best person possible. You can be the best person by whatever standard you might hold. And it's still not enough. It still falls short of the glory of God. But by faith in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to bear the sins of the world, Paul was able to acquire a righteousness that was enough. The righteousness of Christ. A righteousness apart from the law. Paul tried to keep the law. He did a really good job. But in Christ, God revealed a righteousness not based on our performance, not based on meeting the demands of the law, but based on God's own free grace. And if we will turn to Christ, if we will admit that we have failed in our attempts 
And if we will recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then the righteousness of Jesus will be given to us. Free. Our sins wiped out, our guilt gone, no longer does God have a beef against us, and in place of our sin and guilt, we receive the righteousness of Jesus, His perfect sinless life as our record, and then God judges us by that, welcoming us as adopted sisters and brothers of Jesus. Listen. If you have been relying upon the fact that you are a pretty good person. And for the most part, we're pretty good people here. If you have been relying upon the fact that you're a pretty good person, then you're doomed. And you will face all of eternity in outer darkness, separated from God. But if you will give up your own claims to righteousness, if you will allow yourself to be judged by the standard of God's word, if you will turn to Christ for forgiveness and for mercy, then whoosh! All of God's mercy will come rushing down on you like a cleansing shower. Jesus loves us. He loves us so much that he was willing to suffer and be humiliated and die for us. And he doesn't want us to be eternally lost by living in our own pathetic righteousness. Nothing thrills the heart of Jesus more than when someone turns away from their own righteousness and casts themselves upon the mercy of the one who is nothing but mercy. If you have never admitted your own guilt before God, if you have never owned up to your own shortcoming and asked for forgiveness and mercy, then I invite you to do that today. You can do that with me as we bow our heads and pray. I want you to pray along with me these words so that you can know the peace and the freedom that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you were... Merciful too, and you forgave Paul, who was a better person than I am. So I ask you to forgive me of everything that I have done that has been selfish or hateful or greedy or against your law. And I ask you to be my Lord and my teacher, teach me your ways, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and prepare me for eternity with you. This I pray. Amen.